Um, but then serious ones, like I was on a jury where a man was ultimately sentenced for the death penalty, but I actually believed he shouldn't have been. But I, I, I didn't vote properly. I was swayed by everyone, and I want to apologize to his mom. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh my. More Wiser Podcast. Amanda Cupido, audio storyteller. Okay, Amanda, so you and I hop in a time machine right now, and we're going back to hear one storyteller at any point in history. You're pushing the buttons. Where are we headed, and who are we about to hear speak? Wow, what a question to open with. Um, so I'm going to cheat a little bit. I am going to do two. I'm going to give you two. One is... Robin Williams. It's a recent past, but I think he was a brilliant storyteller, number one, just through his acting, but even just in interviews and the way his brain works, I thought he was just brilliant. Um, but what many people don't realize also is that Robin Williams was one of the first, if not the first celebrity podcaster Really? And there is footage, if you Google on YouTube, of him trying to explain in an interview with media what is a podcast and that he has one and people should subscribe. And it's from like the early 2000s. Wow. It is incredible. And I don't know where that podcast is, but I would love to go <laughs> back and listen to it and see him in that room where someone pitched him the, you know, someone pitched him, you got to do a podcast. And... I yeah, just, that was like uncharted territory at that point. Right? Exactly. And, the, and and what a thing to make a celebrity go out and do and not only say, you know, please subscribe to my podcast, but have him explain the tech behind it <laughs> because so, so few people knew what it was. Um, it, it's really something special. So all of that to me was, I just have a lot of respect for him, you know, as a personal fan, but also for what he did in the industry. So I, I choose Robin Williams for that. Um but of course, like leaders, like uh, the first name that popped into my head as like an iconic speech giver, it was Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, I just, th those are the moments, like there are so many iconic times in history where we didn't have the ability to make podcasts, but there were still so many great storytellers, oral storytellers, historians, and, and people of that era who were able to move audiences in really big ways. And I would have loved to go back to, to see some of that and hear some of that firsthand. And so true. You can't see them. And yet they had almost a bigger impact than if you could view them. And so, I mean, nowadays everybody has a video stream. Every podcast has a, a YouTube component that goes along with it, except this one. <laughs> Uh, which when I tell guests that this is only audio, they they almost give me a sense of relief, like, oh, okay, that's that's very um, refreshing. And they they go deeper, I think, than a lot of times they normally otherwise would. And you've had the same experience interviewing people when you just have a microphone. Why do you think that is that as humans we go, okay, um, there's no camera on me. I'm able to just relax more because I don't have to worry about the visual or is there more to it than that? Yeah, so I speak about this in my TEDx talk and I and I use the comparison of the time when I work as a 
radio journalist and reporter and being alongside TV reporters who are going out into the field. And this is common where we're all showing up at the same big story. And sometimes there's people who are, you're not, you don't necessarily always have to like run after people to chase them. (laughs) Sometimes they'll stand there and they'll give the interviews and they'll kind of move through the, the journalists one by one. And in those instances, which happened quite a bit, I would have to wait my turn. I'd be listening to the interview that the person would be doing with the TV crew who is showing up with camera, lights, cables, a whole setup, a, a, a journalist who's all done up and makeup and, you know, a great outfit. And then it would be my turn. And I would be showing up with just a recorder that I would hide away a lot of times on purpose, either in a pocket or my purse, and just a cable going into a mic, which I would hold not in their line of sight. I'd be making eye contact and talking to them and they wouldn't have to worry about all of that. And they were, you know, the interviews were incredible. The difference was it could not go unnoticed. It was, it's very different. People do respond to the intimacy of just audio and whether that's face to face and just focusing on what someone's saying or virtually where you know, you when you're recording a video uh, and audio virtually, you actually are watching yourself also on the screen, which is not normal. Like that's, and you're and you're caught up with looking at your hair and looking at your background, and even me. I, you know, just now, uh, you know, we're recording this with video, but it's just an audio story. But before we hit record, I was like, I had my glasses on. I took my glasses off. I put my glasses on, and it's like. <laughs> Why? It's only because I'm staring at myself in the camera and these are things I wouldn't have preoccupied myself with if it wasn't being reflected back at me. So I do think it changes the quality of the conversation and the mindset people have going in. Hey, if your career is perfect and everything is going exactly as planned and you've reached the height of where you want to go, skip this ad. But if not, I wrote a book called Leader Relativity, finally a starting point for new leaders. And I think it might just be up your alley because honestly, when I first started down my leadership journey eight years ago, it was confusing. There was so much thrown at me. And oh, by the way, what I was reading in the real world was completely different than what I was being taught at work. So if you're in this weird spot where you know you want to take your next step, but you're not quite sure how to do it, please give my book a try. You're exactly who I wrote it for. I can honestly say leadership has never been made this simple. So if that sounds interesting, if you're ready to take that leap with me, hop over to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or wherever you buy books and grab your copy today. Thanks. And does it change the way it's absorbed too, though? Because I I think of, so annually, I I think you're based in Canada, right, Amanda? Yes, Toronto. In the United States, annually, the president will give the State of the Union and in your opinion, do you think it would be more widely consumed if it was audio only over the radio and not of a you know a live broadcast, so to speak? That's a good question. I think it's consumed differently, and I think some people that we also have to take into account the nuance of how people learn and absorb information best, especially with something that's so dense. I think that's a little different though, right? Because that's just absorption. It's no one's talking back to the president. It's not a conversation, right? So now we're talking about how do people best absorb information? We know we have audio learners, video learners, um, 
visual learners and and written learners, people who would who would prefer to to read it, and so. I think with something like the state of a union, it would be more so indicative of, of where someone lands on that spectrum of learning. But if you were putting the president on the stage and asking people to call in and talk to him, or would you rather sit in, in front of him and have a conversation, um, you know, or right. And like looking at the different mediums of how would, how would the actual conversation go? I would, I would argue that if someone was having an audio conversation with the president, they would be be likely less nervous. Okay. I'll put my bets on that. They'd be a little less nervous because they would just be focusing on the audio of the actual conversation rather than maybe people taking pictures of them or, or, or the video that's happening. So, um, so I think the state of the union can still be done as is, but it wouldn't hurt if they put it up as a podcast after and made the transcript available. That's an interesting <laughs> idea. There you go. <laughs> now, I, I'm curious when's the last time this happened to you, because I'll hear someone on a podcast or on the radio. And then when I find out what they look like, I'm disappointed. I'm sad. It's not that they're not a good looking <laughs> person, but I have this idea in my head. Like when you read a book, right? You You get to picture what they look like. And it's it's usually very different than what you actually see when you find out what they really look like. When's the last time you heard a voice that surprised you when you found out what they looked like? That's so interesting. I do think that happens all the time. And I don't have very many recent... I'm trying to think. When was I really shocked? Okay. Um Here's, here's, okay, I'm just going to say what coming, popping up to my mind. The first thing, right when you started talking, it was actually memories of me as a child listening to the radio. And that was, that happened all the time because I dreamed up these people in my mind. And then sometimes it would take years or even decades before you'd see them because, um, I, you know, the internet wasn't easily accessible and, um, there was no such thing as social media. And so, um, it's funny because some of the radio, personalities that I looked up to growing up are still in the radio industry. And now I'm seeing them at radio conferences and it's like, cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> and we're talking shop, which is, which is really neat. And so, um, so that happened a lot in that era, but the, most recently, I just think with social media, it doesn't happen as much. Like if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm immediately going and trying to engage with them on social or find the host or learn more. So that there isn't even a ton of time between the buildup and then the, um, and then the, the the payoff of seeing what they actually look like. But the the most recent thing I could think of is the podcast "Terrible Thanks for Asking," hosted by Nora McInerney, and I knew what she looked like because her face is literally on the podcast um, artwork. Sometimes you'll see part of her face on it, and she's quite present on social. But what I didn't realize is how tall she is. She is very tall. Interesting. <laughs> and I met her at a podcast conference and um, that was a shock. So there you go. It still happens. I think a lot of times with height now. Yeah. And I'm, I actively try to not find out what people look like. Oh, In fact, cool. I've listened to a podcast over. Uh, do you ever do this? Do you ever listen to a podcast all the way through and then restart it like a TV series? I know many people who do this. I I do not do this because I'm very much like there's too much to listen to out there. I need to move on. <laughs> but um but yes, I respect it and I can see I see the the benefits of doing that. I do think I've missed things and would benefit from re-listening to stuff. But do you do that and still not know what the the host looks like? Oh yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, I've I listened to one four times through. Wow. And I refuse to look at what they look like because I <laughs> I don't want to know. I just picture them as little colored blobs in my head. <laughs> that's <laughs> Anyways, <great. laughs> that's a different story. But speaking of broadcasters, if you could pick someone's brain and talk shop, anyone in radio over the last hundred years, do you have someone you'd pick out to have dinner with? In radio specifically? Yeah, in radio specifically. The easiest, I mean, again, I'm always just going with my gut. Oh, because these are so tough because I want to talk to everybody. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I would pick Howard Stern. Just A because, classic. Yeah. And, and maybe that's, but again, that's just who came up in my head. Because first off, I, I've had the chance to, you know, I'm lucky that I have actually got to talk to a lot of, uh, like I said, like a lot of people I looked up to, a lot of my idols um, in the industry, especially in Canada. Um and so when I think more broadly of who's just been really just like outside my network that I haven't been able to access, um, but maybe if I really tried, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I think it's it's so interesting to talk to people who would be considered a radio legend um, because there's so much pressure that comes with that and to last such a long time in the industry is also quite special. And also now with podcasting for someone to be able to like bridge that gap and still be respected, followed. Um, I think it's pretty incredible. And yeah, I would just, I would love to talk shop with him for sure. Radio specifically, do you think legends can still be made moving forward? Is radio popular enough to to sustain a celebrity like that or start one up? Yes, but in a different way is my answer. Okay. Because the what we felt what we thought was the radio celebrity was pretty formulaic in how it happened and what it meant and now I think radio is is changing it needs to change and as that happens, the way that that celebrity and those icons rise will be different. But I think it, I think it'll still happen as long as the medium's alive. It'll happen. And I think most people still, I mean, whether you realize it or not, most people listen to the radio when they get in the car because it's so simple. I mean, you turn your car on and it's on, whereas you have to plug your phone in, you have to go to Spotify. We all have our presets memorized. Right. I'm going one, three, four, two, five <laughs> to check what's on in the morning. When's the last time you changed one of your presets? And do you remember what it was to? Oh my gosh. I, I, I have a great answer for this because my my car battery just died and all my presets were gone. Oh no. I was so upset. Oh. But that's a great example of how much those presets mean to people. And I hadn't had to change them. You're right, in years, because they were locked in and um, I was just like, oh, I gotta, and then and then that begged me to question: Do I change my presets? And I did. I really? did swap out one. Yes. Ooh, what was the switch? <laughs> it was just between two FM stations, like music stations in in the city of Toronto. Um, but it was so it's it's more. I went more for for an oldie station, was playing like the best of the sixties, seventies, and eighties, rather than a top forty. Which so from a genre perspective, I just felt like I needed Interesting. to. Yeah, um, but I would say that those presets, like these are, it, it's exactly what you said. 
the car is such a conduit of encouraging people to listen to radio or making it simple for people to listen to radio. Um, and those presets, not only was it, is it a mechanism in, in order to find what you like so easily with a, with that kind of click of a button where podcast actually discoverability is so hard. This is where radio is really still winning the discoverability, very easy, the accessibility, very easy. Um, a commercial comes, you are going to switch, but that means you're likely listening to multiple things at the same time. Whereas a podcast, you're kind of dialed in, you're locked in and you're not going to really, if you're, if you're engaged, you're not really leaving it, which is great. But the beauty of being able to hop around is it's on demand in a different way, right? And you're able to source what you need. And, and I always reference, you know, even just like public states of emergency. And if you're needing information, being able to do that, to access potentially life-saving information, which, you know, the most immediate medium is, is radio to broadcast a large audience. Um, that's, you know, that's the, that's real. That's the magic of radio. That's one of its like key differentiators that podcasts will never be able to compete with. Let me throw a hypothetical at you. Mm -hmm. So you can either have a drive time FM talk radio in a large market or an equally popular podcast consumed globally. You're going to make the same amount of money doing each, but you can only choose one. What are you doing? This is so hard <laughs> because I am truly, I've worked at the intersection of radio and podcasting for so long and I love both so much. Like there is something about the on-air light going on and the immediacy of radio that is so special and magical. And I, and I love that. And it gives you butterflies and you don't get that the same way with podcasting, but podcasting is so special because you are able to give an audio story a little bit more time in production. You give it that TLC. So the end product can be, you can be a little more picky with what that end product ends up being. And it's going to live forever because you put it out there. And whereas radio tends to go and then be gone. And, um, and that, that's one thing radio needs to get better at is how do we, how do we really, um, extend the life of what goes out on the airwaves. But I think if I had to choose, maybe just because right now I make so many podcasts and I'm so knee deep in podcasts that I would choose the, I would choose the radio show. Oh, interesting. Oh, you threw me a curveball. Yeah. I thought you were going to say podcast at the end. Yeah. Cause I'm, I, that, you know, I'm out there enough on, on the podcast, but radio is always an extra thrill. Now you mentioned the production piece and I want to get your take on how much post-production is too much, right? Because we talked earlier about the rawness of an interview where there's no video, but, you know, some of these are highly produced with soundtracks and, you know, little sound effects. What's too much in your mind? I think there is a trend towards less production right now from like a bells and whistles perspective. Because there's two types of production, I would argue. There's the production that you can actively hear, and then there's the production that is done that you don't realize how much production was done because it's, um, you know, it's all about removing little things and rearranging. And um, so that kind of production, brilliant. I think that's good. So this is the type of 
production that I, I like to call out on being the podcast with Krista Tippett, where because they they upload the raw and the oh, edited cool. version. I don't know if you knew that. No. So if you go search that, it's the greatest um, behind the scenes look at what it takes to make, um, you know, a, a very well edited podcast interview chat cast that sounds like she just did sat down and did the interview but the raw is more than double the length a lot of times and it is completely rearranged and you just can see the before and after of how much work goes into that and so i use that a lot in my workshops to just demonstrate that kind of production brilliant important i'm all for it the other type where i think really came from radio radio was known for stinger songs and sound effects and like reverbs and oh, yeah. all these you know like it's quite dated and it's just that's what we've come to know radio promotions and intros to be and when podcasts started coming out podcasts mimicked that there would usually be an external voice introducing the host and then like a, a big musical production and then it would get into the show and you'd be listening for two minutes before the host even came on not because of ads but because of production um and now we've seen the industry shift we've seen all that fall fall to the wayside and we see a lot of hosts self-introducing them, like introducing themselves. There's no additional booming voice. We are seeing just a simple theme song that just gets faded. There's no extra sound effects. And so I think that's a cleaner listening experience. I think it lets you get to the meat and potatoes fast enough, which I like. I'm like, let's get to it. And it makes it more accessible, right? You're not having to put this energy into something that, you know, where, what is it actually doing for you and for the audience? And so when I was working in radio most recently as a program director, one of my directives was to say, let's mimic that now. Like podcasting mimicked radio. Podcasting has now evolved and now it's time for radio to mimic podcasting. And so like, let's drop some of that heavily produced intros that we would do and let's just get into it you start a segment even if it's a recurring segment you don't even have to give it a title just get into it and um and so that was something that we were we were shifting towards at the station which i thought was being received really well and that is something that i predict will will likely happen in the larger radio landscape in the years to come hey everybody this week's episode is brought to you by my new book leader relativity becoming a leader has literally never been this simple. I spent two and a half years boiling it down, waking up at 4.30 every morning, thinking how much easier can I make this subject for someone who's a little nervous in the beginning and just wants something to get started, to get their foot in the door. So that's what I did. The book's called Leader Relativity and you can get it anywhere you buy books. Thanks. Interesting, okay. So the folks who are the host of these shows, are these the same people who are great at say a dinner party or are there personalities that can be great on air that you might not assume when you meet them in real life that they have that spark? Have you noticed any patterns there? Yes. I would say through the evolution of this industry, if you look at the last 15 to 20 years, previously the people who were put on the radio, put on pedestals, and seen as those great entertainer entertainers were not necessarily 
that in real life because there was a more of a performative aspect to what they were being called to do and what the expectation was and what was industry standard. It was that you were putting on a performance, a face, a mask. You weren't even using your name. Think about all the radio DJ names, um, you know, kooky names that have slowly fallen away. People are just using their real names now <laughs> and, um, and not necessarily attaching stuff to it because authenticity in I think the age of social media and just in ev- the evolution of what people are wanting to to listen to. People want someone who feels real. People want to, they don't necessarily want the whole performance. And I guess this goes with the song and dance, the literal sound effects of the production that I was talking about too. That has fallen away. Like the, in, the audio industry has just evolved to just wanting people who sound real. And I think that has led to more people just who are themselves being raised. And if you looked at who is, who's on the air now and who's doing well in podcasting, there'd be a higher percentage of those people who are actually exactly who they, who they come off as when they're on the air and off the air. Now I would imagine though, as someone who's probably loved this medium your whole life, you had to have at one point thought of a radio name, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, would you share it with us? (laughs) Well, I did. Okay. I did have like a DJ name. Nice. Because <laughs> my name is Amanda Capito. So my initials are AC. And I like the pun of like AC and air conditioning. So Okay. Love it. Like we got to have AC in the house. We need to turn up the AC. And Ice I would be cold. the AC. Right? Yes. Yeah. There's lots of fun you can have with that. So oh, there I you love have it. that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You don't see many podcasters doing that for sure. No. <laughs> it's never that's never going to be a thing only on this podcast right here it's the only <laughs> time i will speak of it <laughs> um and it's staying in it we're not cutting that that's out that's it um yeah, okay <laughs> and i mean the, the golden age of radio was really like the 1930s the 1940s into the 50s would you say we're in the golden age of podcasting right now or did it did it happen we're on the backside of it or we're we still going uphill So I will take, I'm going to cheat on this because yes, the golden ages of radio is like spanned over like three decades. So I would say, yeah, we're in it. We're in it somewhere, (laughs) assuming that it's going to be three decades long as well. And um, yeah, I I would, I still think there's a lot of room for growth though. This by no means is, is it at its peak. Technology has just not caught up yet. It's still so far behind. I say this so many times, but the fact that we cannot upload an audio file to any social media platform is telling, right? Like no one has, that has not become a thing yet, right? Other than let, not, uh, excluding the social audio platforms, but I'm talking just, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever you call it now, that, you know, none of them are MP3 compatible. Come on. Like this is that, you know, so that just goes to show. And then discoverability we know is an issue in the podcast landscape. And we know that a lot of these tech giants are working on it, but no one's really cracked the code. And another thing I talk about in my TEDx talk um, is the fact that even Google, 
who, which is usually the forefront of searchability and discoverability, has search tabs where you can search videos, you can search text, you can search images, but you cannot search audio, which seems like a no-brainer. But anyway, that is coming. The Google insiders have told me they're working on it. So what I what I'm you know predicting is that as these things come to fruition, it's going to just elevate the medium to a whole other level. So I I think it's in the ramp up. I know we've had a lot of listenership. We've broken a lot of records with listenership previously, like with Serial in 2014. And those are some records we still haven't been able to quite beat the same way again. But once that tech piece comes in, it's going to be a whole other situation. It's going to explode. And I'm glad you brought up Google because oddly, the Google Podcast app is not used that like compared to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But normally everything Google is highly consumed. I mean, what is it about that app that is not hitting home? Because there's something about the other methods of searching things out that they just haven't replicated. What is it in your mind? Yeah, they were just late to the game, honestly. That oh, okay. was it. You know, Apple was the four was on the forefront. This is where the word podcast even came from, you know, broadcast and an iPod, or I should say iPod and broadcast <laughs> podcast. Um, and so they were front runners for so long. And then Spotify decided to give them a run for their money. And suddenly those two podcast players became, you know, kind of in, in, in neck and neck with each other. And then, Google was just like, oh yeah, you know, like I think Google just came on a bit late <laughs> and, um, and it's with the help of, of obviously mar- in market competition that helps the whole industry evolve, w- which is great. So that's why Google is trying, I know. And they, and they have a lot, they have a really dedicated team. And I think what they can do is great. They just, I think they just started late. That's all. So once they have the time to even catch up and invest in the way that some of the other platforms have, I do think it'll be a game changer and it might turn out that everybody's listening to their podcasts on Google podcasts in the future. I don't know. Um, But I just think that they haven't, we haven't seen what they can do yet. So we just got to wait a bit. Now I remember, I mean, I don't know if Spotify specifically said, Hey, we're, we're diving in head first, but the, the Joe Rogan contract to be exclusive on Spotify was huge. It was a hundred million dollars to be exclusive on that platform. Has that been the 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 most shocking bet a company has taken on podcasting that you can think of, or have there been others that have flown under the radar as far as like exclusive uh, rights and things like that? I think Spotify very intentionally decided to go after the podcast, you know, as a tactic, as a business model, as a medium to invest in before that contract. That was a d- very intentionally done. And to be honest, I think Spotify overshot a bit in general when you look at all of the investments they made. But if anyone was going to do that and have the bandwidth to do that and to bounce back, it was Spotify. So, I mean, people are, I think there's a lot of news in the industry right now where everyone's like, oh, 
podcasts are getting canceled and uh, Spotify is closing down or laying people off and, and closing up certain elements and shows and all of this. And everyone's like, they made mistakes and freaking out. But I think this is, first off, this is what tech startups do all the time. They fail, they fail fast, they pivot, they come back, pick themselves back up and they go again. This is not indicative of the podcast landscape being in trouble. This was podcast, uh, this was Spotify shooting their shot, making a bunch of investments, some of them great, some of them dumb, but they knew that they had to cast a wide net to figure it out. And no one else was willing to take those kind of risks. So I applaud Spotify for doing what they did. I think they made a lot of uh, made a lot of decisions like that. Sometimes it wasn't even money. It was, you know, like when they acquired Gimlet and then they made Gimlet shows only available on Spotify. You know, that was a very bold move. And I think they are seeing that maybe that wasn't the best decision because opening up the landscape for those shows to be produced within Spotify, but then um, ac- accessed everywhere, it it could it could re you know it could be more beneficial to them to do that. So anyway, they're just in an experimentation zone, and I like that they were able to throw that kind of money and see how it landed. I think they've you know also had to really work with Joe Rogan, and they've there's been many controversies that have popped up since that acquisition. And I don't know if they would do that kind of a deal again, but God bless them for trying things. Now I'm going to go old school with you for a second. I don't know if you remember the show Frasier. Did yes, you ever- of course. <laughs> okay. Of course. And you've, you're in radio. So of course. So uh, question one is how close is that to reality? And then the next one is, is there a similar sitcom like a scripted show that's based on podcasting. Cause I know there's a lot of documentary series and everything's videoed, but is there anything kind of it's equal to Frasier, but podcasting. So with regard to Frasier, um, when I got my first job in radio, which was as a producer, that was my point of reference was that I am the Ross to Frasier sitting in the booth and talking into the host ear. I would say it's actually pretty close with, with the setup, but the one, the biggest difference with talk radio is that a lot of teams, for the most part, in major markets with shows that were apparently as popular as Frasier's, um, would have three people on it. So you would have a producer who was screening the calls, producing the content, working closely with the host, but then there would be someone who's actually managing the board, a board operator who would be doing the levels, who would be hitting the commercials, logging the songs that are played. And then there would be the host. So, because in Fraser, he's doing all that. Yeah. Which is kind of what an FM host would do. FM, a, 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 you know, music, I should say a music radio host would just be, it would just be them. Um, unless it's a morning show. And then, then you usually are getting to two to three people who are helping to make the mechanics happen. But yeah, so that's right. He has the board in his room, doesn't he? In, in that setup. So that's a little bit odd. It, that's not what a talk radio, um, that's not what a talk radio setup would be because also think about it. The, if you're piping in a caller, so, oh, and you know what the thing is that they don't screen the calls. They just take them, I think. Or does she say you have a call on the line? She I forget, does screen but you got 
Yeah, yeah. you got to screen them. But then if he's controlling the sound, how does he know, right? If the person who's screening the calls needs to be talking to the board operator who's potting up the right line for um, for that caller. <laughs> can, can I disregard so, the next question and, and insert a different one? When sure. you were screening calls, how could you tell if you wanted to put that human being live on the air or not? I mean, what was your filter? Call screening is so hard, okay? This is... This is the unspoken, this is like the underappreciated art of radio. This this ability to determine who goes on the radio. And with with music radio, when you're calling into an FM, it's usually just one person. And so they'll throw to it. Because you have songs, right? You're only on the air for a couple of seconds. So you would throw to a song and then that person's screening the calls. You pre-record them. And then you would, you, you're very rarely airing a call live. You would... You know, in in music radio, I would say ninety five percent of the calls are pre recorded during the song break, and then they air. Unless you're doing a contest, unless you're doing like a trivia game, then it's live, right? Um, but with talk radio, everything that's live, nothing's pre recorded. Okay, everything is live, and so. The only thing that's pre-recorded is maybe if a guest is not available, you do an interview in advance. So it would be the, the opposite. It would be like three, five percent pre-recorded, 95% is live. And to call screen, you would some people are so good at getting past call screeners. They they say <laughs> so much good things, they're amazing, then they get on the air and they're a loose cannon. They do it on purpose because they they know oh, how to do it. Okay. So there are those that you just you can't, even the best call screeners are gonna get fooled. Um you want someone, I would always start off with um, with getting one one tactic I did, at least. Some people would start with, what's your name? We know, what city are you from? Okay, what are your thoughts? But I would always start with, what are your thoughts? Because I'm not even going to waste time getting your name and your city if I don't think your thoughts are good. So sure. I would just go, what are your thoughts? And they needed to come <laughs> out strong, <laughs> and especially if the lines are lining up. Sometimes if they were taking too long with their thought, I'd put them on hold just to give them a second to collect it if I thought they deserved a second chance at pitching their thought. Um, but, and that's why it's nerve wracking calling in, especially for the first time. It's like, it usually moves fast. I'm like going through, I'm trying to get to as many people as I can to get the best call because the best call can really make or break a segment. And usually if you have a really great call out from the host, like we are looking for someone who X, Y, Z, really specific. Um, those are the kinds of people that can really push a segment forward and make the story even better. And that's the kind of guest I would have never been able to book uh, the same way. So, um, so yeah, I, I thought it's a rush. It's an art. It's very hard to do. And I feel like by the end of my tenure, I, I had friends with people who called in just to chat with me when I was a call screener, they didn't <laughs> want to get on the radio. <laughs> so if it was a slow segment, I would just chat with them and, um, I, yeah, you make friends and, um, and it, and it's tough, but I feel like I got some great calls through in my in my time as a call screener. Now, I mean, you're the quintessential professional when it comes to radio and podcasting. I mean, you literally wrote the book on it, Let's Talk Podcasting, which folks can get anywhere they buy books for the record. So I have to ask you, when you're listening to a new host you've never heard on the radio or a podcast you've never heard, how long into listening can you tell if this is any good and you're going to keep going. I mean, how many seconds is it, honestly? So I, when I'm listening to podcasts, I always start with the trailer. I love listening to trailers. 
And if I sometimes I cannot get through the trailer, Ooh, <laughs> sometimes okay. it's so that means what like thirty seconds. Um, I'm a tough critic, but it's also because I know what I like. So if I'm listening for myself personally to like find something that I like, I'm going to be able to tell very, very quickly. Then once I get into, if, if, if you make it past the trailer and, um, and I less love trailers in general. So that's why if I, if I enjoyed the trailer, I'll go to the episode and then usually within a minute or two, I'm going to be able to tell if I'm going to stick with the episode or if I need to speed up the episode, because I am the type to listen to podcasts uh, on quick, quicker speeds. I don't know if you do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I used to learn calculus on YouTube. Yeah. I would just oh speed it because <laughs> it's too slow. But yeah. Wow. That's... Okay, so you're a whole other echelon of, of uh, Well, no, but words. like, you're like, okay, let's get to the part. I mean, you, you bring up a great point though, which is so many, I'm going to talk to podcasting now, they're very slow in the beginning, right? There's a yeah. really drawn out intro. You're going to tell us who you are and so much stuff that I don't care about. So for me, it happens within like 10 seconds, honestly. Like you said earlier, if we're not at meat and potatoes by the half minute mark, I'm moving on. But what about, let's not say it's just for your preferences, just you can tell if it's a, a quote unquote good show, right? It might not mm. be your taste, but it's still a production value and the host is good enough where you go, I think this one is popular to other people. How long does it take you to figure that out? But you know what? I'm not even going to claim that I can figure that out because it's so okay. hard. Sure, <laughs> because sure. there's some things that I find unbearable to listen to that are, and I won't name names, but there are <laughs> things that I find unbearable that are very, very popular. <laughs> and so I just say, I'm, I always will give it a chance. And that's why sometimes I'm picky about storytelling too. Like I like, uh, so that's why I need a, a little bit of time sometimes with podcasts. And I guess radio is different. Radio, you might be able to tell quicker. But anyway, let's stick with podcasts because this is where we're at. Like with a podcast, there's so many niche audiences that clamor around niche topics, hosts, cadences. And that's where I think with radio, it was like a very specific, this big booming voice, this is what equals success. This is how we build a, a, a talent in radio. It was very formulaic. Whereas in podcasting, it is the wild, wild West. You have people who sound all different ways and some people can hate them. Some people love them and someone's going to find, as long as you could find your people within this massive landscape, you can find great success. And I think that I've been shocked by some things, even, okay, one example I can give without offending is Hardcore History. This is a show. Yeah, Dan Carlin. <laughs> Dan Carlin, who yeah. is brilliant for historians, because he will go and he will do five hour long episodes yeah. and he, and just, just him talking and that for me, not for me, right? This, I'm just not the target audience and I, I, I don't find that enjoyable. And if you would have pitched me on a piece of paper, you know, in the early days of podcasting, do you think this podcast is going to be successful? I would have told you, no, you need some, a different approach to the production and format. And yet <laughs> look at this, the, the success he's built in the audience. And so that's where I go. I can always be proven wrong. There is no formula to, to podcasting. And so I try not to, I can judge harsh for my own self, but I won't ever, um, uh, you know, discredit someone's approach because, because you just never know. You never know, but 
you have to have a pet peeve that you could share though. I mean, <laughs> what, uh, let's, let's dial it into podcasting again. What's your biggest pet peeve out there for everybody who has a podcast, all the millions out there? What's the biggest pet peeve of them? I would say, I would say repeating yourself. I think that sometimes, and people don't realize they're doing this and just because people's attention spans are so short and I feel like we will go sometimes when conversations get cyclical and that can be the host's fault and that could be the guest's fault. But even if the guest, if it's a sophisticated host, they're going to redirect or if the production is high enough, they're going to edit it out where the same point is being made over and over again. And I will say that Joe Rogan does this all the time. <laughs> Yes, he does. And that's why he's he again, he is a has a brilliant mind in the podcast space, has a dedicated audience. And I I like listening to everything that's out there so that I can get a grasp on the you know, what is winning and why. And when I listen to Joe Rogan, I just find that like we would be going back to the same point sometimes when it's like I felt like we've moved on and then yet we're bringing it back to a wrestling example. And I'm like, I just <laughs> want to hear about her, you know, boat journey across the longest stretch of ocean, but we're somehow bringing it back to a tangent and then like, you know, kind of staying there too long and getting repetitive with a point. So, um, and that's just, and that's again, if, if not done in the moment, it can be fixed in post-production. And so that's where I went. I just wish there was, I could, I could have a, t a hand at an edit on this, but hey, it works for people. People love it still. So there you have it. Like you said, everybody has a different taste and some people like hearing the same thing over and over. Now you've taught this at a university. You're still teaching it. What goes into that curriculum that might surprise an outsider that you're teaching students of media and broadcasting? I think one of the biggest things that I found was lacking in my journalism education was the business of journalism and what my value was as a freelancer, what rates I should charge, what salaries I should be expecting, like specific numbers. I had no idea. Oh, cool. You actually teach that. You yeah. don't get that much. No, I think that's shocking program. for people, right? But I, I, I just believe in in transparency with this stuff, and I struggled with it, and so that's why I really I bake it into a lesson where, throughout all my lessons, I say, here's here's something I made, and, um, and here's how much I was paid for it. I'll actually tell them, um, money that I made for certain things. I would also give them recommendations for how much they should charge for certain projects. And I would talk about how that can also change over time and like what, what that work, what you could work towards. And so I think it's important for people to talk about, talk about this so that, cause especially in the audio industry, it's, you know, it's so easy to get underpaid for your work. So many people don't appreciate what kind of work goes into Something like making a great podcast or all that work that gets in an episode, just like on being, which is also why I show that example to clients of like, do you understand how much work went into this? How many hours of editing? And so I think just having that transparency helps the industry as a whole. And I really appreciate, you know, organizations like Air Media who put out rate cards because I also 
give that to my students. And I also use it with clients who might be sometimes pushing back on some of the rates that my podcast production company quotes them. So I think it's important for all of us to kind of stand together for our art and make sure that we are getting paid um, in alignment with the work that we're doing and the expertise that we're bringing. That is so refreshing to hear because, I mean, I can't think of another major in a university where someone is sharing that. I, I certainly never had that when I was in school. Did you get any pushback from the school for doing that? I well, I don't, I don't know if they even <laughs> do. They, do they know that I'm doing that? <laughs> Who knows? You, the school you, when you're when you're teaching a course, especially as someone, I was a part time contractor, right? So I come in, teach a class or two, and they bring me in when they're need, needed semester to semester. And you have these learning outcomes that. The students need to be able to, you know, definitively walk away knowing these six things. But then how you get there is kind of up to you. And unless there's another section of the class, and in my case, I was teaching the only, I always liked owning the whole section. So I'd either teach all the sections or there would only be one section. So that just meant, um, and of course, the major projects and stuff, I would, I would be in communication with a chair or the coordinator. But some of these nuanced things, they weren't like looking over my lesson plans. But I think... I would be, I'd be willing to die on that hill. You know, if I was getting, I always think, you know, what, what is it worth? What hill is worth dying on? And that one is, that was a big one for me. And I definitely got underpaid for a lot of my earlier projects. And that's just something that I really am. I'm passionate about changing. Now, when your students come into your office hours, Amanda, and they, they express concern that maybe they don't have what it takes, what's the biggest fear you hear from a young person as they're looking into this journey ahead of them? Oh, yeah, that they hate their voice. Oh, my gosh. Everyone, I'm so happy you said that. Right? Oh, I hate mine, too. <laughs> no, but see, this is where I go. This is the beauty of podcasting. It's all different voices. It's not like it used to be, that formula where you had to sound like this, because even for me, in if you think about radio two decades ago there was not a lot of women who sounded like me it was more of like a bubblegum girly kind of higher pitched woman voice that would make it as talent and I remember thinking is my voice too raspy but then ra randomly raspy voices became trendy <laughs> in like in the mix there then and so then I was I felt well positioned but I was always very mindful of of that. And anyway, it's so I'm so happy that I feel like we're kind of beyond that now for podcasting, for sure. And for radio, radio has changed a lot. You're hearing all different types of voices, but for sure, podcasting has just blown those doors wide open. And it's so refreshing because people want to hear someone who sounds like them. And there's someone out there that sounds like you. And it's, I think, a little bit more of a... Again, at that authenticity piece, as I was talking about earlier, people want that. They want you to sound like a real person. And if you don't have that perfect radio voice, then you sound more real. It actually works to your advantage. So that's what I try to tell them is, is like, that's actually your strength. You just want to feel confident and you want to feel good. And let's listen back. And I can give some tips so that you're making sure you sound the best you can be. Um, but don't try to change your voice to be something else. Hey everybody, this week's episode is brought to you by my new book, Leader Relativity. Becoming a leader has literally never been this simple. I spent two and a half years boiling it down. 
waking up at 4.30 every morning thinking how much easier can I make this subject for someone who's a little nervous in the beginning and just want something to get started, to get their foot in the door. So that's what I did. The book's called Leader Relativity and you can get it anywhere you buy books. Thanks. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the raspiness and it went from not cool to cool. What's the interplay between music trends and broadcast trends? Because there was that push of singer-songwriters where you did hear that more raspy voice. Do you think they interconnect a lot or is one usually leading the other probably music to podcasting? I never really thought of that, but I know that that now that you know now that you bring it up for sure right that was also with singing you never had a a raspy voice gal as part of the spice girls like they all <laughs> raspy <were> spice very, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's me oh that's good <laughs> that's to be my halloween costume this year um but right like that wasn't it that but but Okay, like we're we're gonna talk about like pop bands um, of an era. But if you think about Backstreet Boys, oh yeah, <laughs> I was a Backstreet Boy fan. Kevin was that deep voice. He was yes. the voice, right? And it was like known. That's Kevin, and you could hear it. And he was that one. Um, and I think the gals. I don't know. Didn't they all just kind of sound the same? Like I don't. I couldn't really. There wasn't. Maybe Sporty Spice was a little bit deeper, but. It wasn't as drastic of a difference. And I don't think that, I think it was a very similar kind of very high, higher tone, higher pitched sort of songs where now you're getting a lot more of just like a gal with an acoustic guitar and she can be a bit raspy and it's branded as indie folk and it's very cool. And I think that was not the case um, a couple of decades ago. And if you also look at, I mean, I'm also a musical fan. Um, and so if you look at Broadway, I still think this is actually an issue. All Broadway singers, I wish I could sing musical songs, but none of them were written for my voice. It's a very specific kind of female Broadway singing voice that they go for. And maybe that maybe that's the next wave that needs to come. We need a raspy gal uh, Broadway lead for um, for that to catch up. Yeah, I'll, I mean the voice aspect. I can see why a young person would say I don't I don't have it. But as you mentioned, you know, any voice can become popular. They run the gamut. I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what's your favorite podcast of all time before we. Uh, get off here today. I hate this question because it is so hard to answer and so many people have asked it. It's different depending on the day that you get me. I oh, listened, sure. But okay, I, what I always say is that there's there's series that come out that I will just binge and I'm obsessed with, but then I've heard it and a lot of those are short run series or mini series and it's kind of like, you know, depending what day you get me. But the, sh- and the, sh- but the shows that, the show that I continue to come back to shows that like I'll, I'll stray and then I come back and year over all the years of my listening heavyweight from Gimlet. I continue to come back to, um, and these are just like, for those of you who don't know it, it is surprising stories. It's so hard to describe. It's basically people who come to the host and ask him to try to figure something out for them and that by using the power of media and podcasting they might be able to get the answer more than just an individual who is searching for the answer mm. and these are such a wide range of asks it's something as simple as 
I am convinced I broke my arm when I was a kid, but my whole family tells me I never broke my arm. Can you help me try to figure it out? Right. And, um, and that's like a funny one. And, you know, they're calling hospitals or calling kids camps and, um, but then serious ones, like it was on a jury where a man was ultimately sentenced for the death penalty, but I actually believed he shouldn't have been. But I, I, I didn't vote properly. I was swayed by everyone, and I want to apologize to his mom. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you're like, Whoa. oh my, yeah. And then the the search for that reconciliation happens, and you listen, and um, so that is, you know, that's you. Those, are those stories are so good. Yeah, and then and then the other one that I always go back to. So I say that one, and then I say um, twenty thousand hertz which is a, a podcast about sounds. So, oh. of course, I'm an audio nerd. Cool. <laughs> and it's they just pick apart iconic sounds and how they came to be. And you know, they'll they'll pick apart the prices right theme song, which many people don't realize was made by like a a young musical student and then they never gave him the proper rights and so he got like really? a one-time payment and never received payment ever again, but like could have been rich. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So those are, yeah, those are two that I always go back to. Two that I would not have guessed. And that just go. goes to show that, you know, everybody has different tastes and there's something out there for everyone. Uh, before I let you go, what if someone out there right now is listening and they go, I want to dip my toes into podcasting. Now, obviously they should buy your book, but what's step two that you would suggest, Hey, definitely go do this before you do too much. Listen to a lot of stuff. That's the main one. People will listen to like one type of show and be like, I want to make a podcast. And then they only think of it in the format that they've heard a podcast of. And you need to listen. Just need to listen, even if it's just for a little bit outside of the industry too, even for clients who are working with lead podcasting and want to make a show and they just pick their competitor and go, this is how they're doing it. So I go, but look, you don't have to just listen to finance podcasts if you're making a financial show. Listen to all types of podcasts. Take all the things you love and then bring it together and make your own little thing. Like, I mean, that's what creativity is, right? Taking a bunch of other ideas and like putting them together to make your own. And so just just take that time to listen and listen broadly and be really intentional with what you end up building. And don't just turn on a mic and um, mimic the last thing you heard because it might not be the best way to tell your story. And if folks want to get a hold of some of the shows you're producing, where can they find those and what are they called? Yes, there's tons. You could go to leadpodcasting.com. We have a bunch of them listed there, but also you could follow us on social media at Lead Podcasting um, across all the platforms. And then me personally, Amanda Capito. And uh, yeah, you search us up. I'd be happy to and reach out and connect. Always happy to answer questions and connect with people who love podcasts. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, Amanda. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was fun. 